God willing, today we will finish Ecclesiastes. We finished chapter 10 last time, and as I said last time, the book is loosely organized in the seasons of a man's life. So the early part of the book, he's a young guy, foolish, like most young guys are, and he's sort of thrashing around looking for the way in life, and he tries foolishness, he tries wisdom, he tries being a goth, depression, discovers that wisdom is the best, but wisdom itself is not the answer to the eternal questions of life, because you won't find those answers under the sun. So as we come up to the end of the book, 10, 11, and so forth, I sort of regard that as being the advice of a wise grandfather as he's about to check out. These are some things that I've learned. So at the end of the book, he he puts these down. Of course, he does it in Eastern wisdom fashion, which is mashalim. And so you have this series of mashalim in the later chapters of the book. As I said at the beginning, when we started, the book of Ecclesiastes is sort of the report of the wisest man in the world of what he did with that gift that God gave him. Having been given a gift like that, he felt an obligation to tell the rest of the world what it got him. So in that sense, he's sort of wrapping things up. And then in chapter 12, he basically talks about process of death and winds it all down. So chapter 11, verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Lots of stuff in there. If we start with verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. The idea there is diversify your assets. Don't put all your eggs in one basket is the modern equivalent of that saying. So the idea that as you invest the things that God has given you to work with, you need to diversify those because any one of them could be destroyed by circumstances that are completely unforeseeable. Has anybody here besides me read The Black Swan? By a guy named Nicholas Talib. He's a Lebanese Christian. He's also a financier. And his thing is he is very much against traditional investing and traditional ways of analyzing the market and traditional uses of statistics. The black swan example is in Europe, swans are white, period. And it wasn't until people got to Australia that they discovered that there was a possibility of black swans. So you can look at all the swans you want to in Europe and you will never entertain the idea of a black swan because they don't exist there. So if you do your investing or whatever it is with the idea that all swans are always white and then somebody goes to Australia, you're 
plans may be destroyed by something that is completely unforeseeable. It uses lots of financial examples, but the idea is periodically you will have what's called a black swan event. So the stock market crash in 1929 would be a black swan event because nobody thought that in the midst of a roaring economy and so forth that the stock market was going to crash. Looking back on it, oh, gee, it was obvious. But the point is it isn't obvious until it happens, and that's what he calls a black swan. So what Solomon is saying here in 11.2 is there are black swans out there. So what you want to do is whatever assets you have, and it doesn't have to be financial, it can be talent, any number of things, whatever assets that God has entrusted you with, don't stick them all in one place, no matter how safe it looks. Because there's always the possibility that you're going to run into a black swan. And by the way, since that book was written, Black Swan has sort of become part of the investing in military lexicon, something that is completely unknown. So anyway, that's what he's talking about in verse 2. So now we back up to verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. And I'm suggesting that 1 and 2 go together. In fact, I'm suggesting one, two, three, and four all go together, and I'm sort of unpacking them in order so we can see how that works. So the casting your bread upon the waters, what would that be in normal human terms? You have a loaf of bread and you throw it into the water. What does that describe to you? You've wasted a loaf of bread. If you happen to be in the business of feeding ducks, that's certainly fine. But the point here is if you take a loaf of bread and you throw it in the river, You've just wasted a loaf of bread. What he's saying here is, as you go through life, you are going to cast a certain amount of bread on the waters, which will look to you at the time as if you have just wasted a loaf of bread. But what happens in God's economy, and I'm taking this as being good, in other words, casting your bread upon the waters is doing things like giving to the poor, things that you do without expecting any return throw your loaf of bread into the river, you're not expecting to get your loaf of bread back. Your loaf of bread is, for all practical intents and purposes, gone. As you go through life, you're going to do things that look at the time like a waste of a loaf of bread. But the good that you do with that so-called wasted loaf of bread, at some point is going to come around and come back to you. That's what he's saying. And Galen said, you're talking about the cyclical nature of things and so forth. Certainly that worked. So the first part then is giving without any expectation of return. The second part is diversify your assets. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the trees falls, there it will lie. I didn't understand that, and I read about three commentaries, and still not sure I understand it, but I'll give you what the consensus is. One commentary is of the opinion, and I don't actually I don't particularly agree with this, but I'll give it to you anyway because it's right over a major commentary. The idea that God provides the rain, and the rain will come regardless of what you do about it, and a tree falling is going to sow its seeds where it falls. 
So you have a tree that falls, like an apple tree, for example, with fruit, and it falls down, and the apples hit the ground, and so what you have is seed. So the idea that these things that look like calamities are really gifts from God, that's one commentary. Don't particularly like that, but I understand it, and if you like it, by all means, use it. The one I did like a little better is it sees verses 1 through 4 as a set. So what we have in verse 2, where you give a portion to 7 or even to 8, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. And one of the disasters that may happen are storms and wind, which you can't do anything about. So the idea that you have clouds that drop a storm on you, and you can't do anything about that. And similarly, a windstorm will blow a tree down, and wherever it blows the tree down, that's where it's going to go, and there isn't anything you can do about it. The commentary then said that verse 3 is an extension of verse 2, which is to say this world is uncertain. There are going to be calamities. You're not going to be able to A, predict them, and you're not going to be able to B, stop them. So organize your life so that you survive those calamities. I kind of like that better, but if you like the idea that the rain waters the ground and brings forth the grass and the tree falling spreads its seeds, and that's okay too. The whole idea here is live your life with the expectation of black swans. You don't know what they're going to be, but you know they're going to be some. So live your life as best you can so that when a black swan occurs, you don't get taken out. And then verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. That goes with Proverbs 22. The sluggard says, There's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the street. That's essentially the same proverb as verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. The whole idea is nothing is ever perfect. So if you're sitting around waiting for the perfect day to sow your stuff, you're going to miss the planting season. And if you're waiting for the perfect weather to reap your harvest, your harvest is going to rot in the field. And it's the same thing as the sluggard who says, I can't go outside. There might be a lion out there. And if there's a lion out there, he's going to eat me. So better not go outside. The comment was that our propensity is to talk ourselves out of things instead of talking ourselves into things. I would agree with that. And back in Ecclesiastes verse 4, and why I think this is all a piece, is he's talking about how do you live your life in the face of uncertainty? Because the world is uncertain. So you wind up doing things that, on the face of them, look like you're wasting a loaf of bread, but at some point it's going to come back to you. And you're going to be rewarded, if you will, for that act of generosity or kindness. You want to diversify your assets because black swans happen, and if a black swan happens, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. And then the weather wind and rain are not things that you can predict. So you want to organize your life so that regardless of what the weather brings, you have a chance to survive. And then finally, 
if you're looking for the perfect day to plant or the perfect day to reap your crop, you're going to wind up either not planting or not reaping. You have to do it in season even if the weather doesn't happen to be ideal. So all of verses 1 through 4 have to do with how do you live in an uncertain world. And I see this as Solomon at the stage in life when he's a grandfather and he's got the end of his life in view and he's now passing on his wisdom to younger people. Verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. What he's saying here, extension of what we just read, is this world is designed so you can't figure it all out. We talked about that extensively last time. If in this world you could figure everything out, there wouldn't be any room for development. And God has us here for our development so that we can turn into something different than we were when we were born. And if you could figure everything out, you wouldn't ever have to react to either wonderful things that happen to you or calamitous things that happen to you and figure out how to react to those, how to survive, how to thrive, and how to move on. In the context of our current thing with abortion that's going on in the country, there are those who would say that the soul doesn't enter the body until the breath. Well, that certainly could be true, but it's not something you can know, so far better to err on the side of safety. Sort of like some French philosopher was either talking to or being talked to by an atheist, I don't remember which, and the believer's comment was, if I am wrong and there is no God, so what? If you are wrong and there is a God, you have a serious problem. Better than to organize your life as if there is a God, because if you turn out to be wrong, you are no worse off than the atheist. But if you turn out to be right, which of course I believe we are, then you are far better off than the atheist. Verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Same idea here. In the morning sow your seed. In other words, you got to plant in order to get a crop. And in the evening... When you reap, don't withhold your hand. That goes back to our bread upon the waters. When you finally have a crop, don't assume that it's up to you to make bigger barns. Instead, don't withhold your hand. When you get a bountiful crop, spread it out to the poor. Verse 7, light is sweet, and it is pleasant to the eyes to see the sun. I am assuming that is talking about life. Because remember, all of this is under the sun, so the idea that you see the sun indicates that you're alive. And so life is sweet, if you will. Verse 8. So, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Vanity here is not in the sense that we are talking about, which is pride. Vanity is in the sense of fleeting, evanescent, non-permanent. I see the days of darkness as being the days in the grave. 
and the idea there is there is a long time in the grave parenthesis not stated here until the resurrection so the idea that we all go to the grave which is a theme throughout the book this is the first intimation in this book that the time in the grave has a terminus it's not just you go to the grave and you cease to exist and there's nothing after that and you could get that impression from some of the earlier things that he said the idea that no one praises you in the grave all those kinds of things you could get the idea that this life is all there is as far as i know in the book of ecclesiastes this is the first hint that the grave is not the end it has a duration also verse 9 rejoice o young man in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes but know that for all these things god will bring you into judgment now one of david's psalms which i use frequently is don't hold the sins of my youth against me and proverbs obviously talking almost exclusively to young men because young men by nature are fools that's just the way we are built and it takes a while for us to gain maturity so what he's saying here is when you are young and you're full of hormones and vinegar and all that kind of stuff and you just go 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 keep in mind enjoy that time but understand that there is still to be judgment for the things that you do have fun but don't do nothing stupid or at least not any stupider than you have to verse 10 remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity and again vanity here is in the sense of fleeting not lasting that's why young men make such good soldiers because they don't think much beyond the end of a bayonet but what he's trying to say is that this time of strength and vigor and so forth when the whole world is in front of you and everything seems possible that doesn't last which is true but trying to tell a young man that is difficult which is why every squad of young men have got a 40 or 50 year old sergeant over them to keep them under control i had 800 of them working for me one time it was entertaining chapter 12 remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say i have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of the song are brought low they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way the almond tree blossoms the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to god who gave it 
Vanity of vanity, said the preacher, all is vanity. All of this stuff about enjoying your youth is preparatory to the beginning of chapter 12. The idea is enjoy the strength and vigor of your youth. Have fun. Glory in it. Because at some point, your body is going to begin to fail. That's just the way it is. If you keep up the maintenance, it will fail more gracefully than if you don't. But the point is, regardless of whether you kept up the maintenance or not, at some point it's going to fail. And of course, the idea here of your teeth fall out so the grinders don't work, and it's a metaphor for a failing body. The grasshopper drags itself. Have you ever seen a grasshopper in the fall? They're bouncing all around, but toward the end of the fall, they just sort of drag themselves along because they're at the end of their life. The idea here is that at the end of your life, your body will eventually fail. So enjoy the body that you've been given while it's working really well because there'll be time for the other. And also remember your creator. I see that as twofold. One is remember God, of course, but also remember that you are a creature, a created being. And nothing that is created under the sun lasts forever. That's what he's been saying all along is your life under the sun does not last forever. It has a terminus. And of course, as we saw before in the previous chapter, your time in the grave also has a terminus, and that would be the resurrection. But the point is, each season of your life has a duration. None of the seasons of your life lasts forever. Everything is ephemeral under the sun. Early on in the book, you sort of got the feeling that all flesh goes to the same place. I was wise and I accumulated lots of stuff and who knows, when I go to the grave, it'll go to some fool who won't appreciate it. And the whole thing was very fatalistic early on. Toward the end here, it feels no less realistic, but far more hopeful. The realism of the vanity or the passing nature or the frailty of life, he hasn't lost that perspective. It's still the same as it was at the beginning. But at the beginning, it felt like death was sort of, well, it's all over. Now it feels much more hopeful because you see something that looks like it could be resurrection. You see something like eternity and so forth. And so you see something toward the end of his life, which is much more hopeful than it was at the beginning. Verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So besides being wise, he taught knowledge, and he weighed and arranged many proverbs with great care. And we've all been through the spiel on proverbs, that a proverb is a very compact way of encoding wisdom and knowledge. And verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So the idea here is this guy is not a fire and brimstone you all are miserable sinners who are going to die and then you're going to be crispy creatures thereafter. That's not his thing. What he's trying to do is he is trying to use the wisdom that God gave him 
to uplift and improve the lives of everybody around him. So the idea here is that a good life is worth living, and it's worth effort to make a life good. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And this goes with the idea that if you spend your entire life in study, you miss a lot of living. Study is fine. I mean, we're all here studying the scripture and so forth. But if that's all you ever do, you miss a lot of life. And what the preacher is saying is that life is worth living. It's to be enjoyed. Each of the seasons in your life are to be enjoyed to the extent that that's possible. And at the end of it, you should be able to look back on it and say, that was good. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This goes with the series that I have been talking about in sermons, the idea that you have a soul which while it is the thing that keeps you alive, it is not entirely accessible to you. And it's sort of like spyware on your computer, for lack of a better term. It's reporting to somebody in Czechoslovakia what you're actually doing. I'm teasing, obviously. And the metaphor I have used is marrying the daughter of the king, which is a rabbinic metaphor, but I like it. And the idea is the daughter, when she goes back to visit Daddy the King, talks about her marriage, which is you. And so the idea then that God doesn't notice what's going on with you is foolish because you married his daughter. And so he's interested. And he's interested in what you're doing. He's interested in how the marriage is working. He's interested in whether you're taking care of her. He's interested in knowing about what his daughter is involved in. So what it's saying here is God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There isn't anything that you can do to erase what you've done. You can only move on, learn from it, grow, get better, and, of course, ask for forgiveness and repent to the extent that you're sinned. Some of it's sin, some of it's just stupid. And there's a difference between stupid and sin. You can tell they're spelled differently. I mean, we've all done stupid stuff that isn't, strictly speaking, sinful. We've also done lots of sinful stuff. And the point is, the whole thing is available to God. Because you married the daughter of the king. That's your soul. And the end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You want to develop a worship relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you want to live your life as best you can to please Him. Let us shine.